Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. Joel Norman is here. Now, Joel's somebody I used to work with. We've done podcasts together. He was pretty restrained before, but we don't work together anymore. This is Joel Unleashed. Wow. So, Joel, introduce yourself to these fine people. I'm Joel, and I'm Unleashed. Um, I work as a organizational transformation consultant, but that's what I do for a day job. Um my real passion lately is not only my family, but doing uh, a meetup called Canton Coders, where we focus on coders and not employers. But Dave, that's not what we're talking about today, is it? You can tell that Joel also does a lot of podcasting of his own and things like this. No, that's not what we're going to talk about. Um, I really feel like I did not have enough caffeine. I did try to amp up before because I knew I was going to need it. Um, <laughs> I got a question in, in class last week from a student that I totally mm -hmm. did not know how to answer. And Joel and I had been talking about doing a podcast, and I asked if we could do this topic because with Joel's background, he is uniquely suited to provide a much more coherent answer to this question <laughs> than I was able to muster. So, um, and try to set up the scenario. Uh, I had somebody in class who was a testing manager mm -hmm. and their company has been moving to Agile and now all the teams have been mm -hmm. broken up. All their testers has been divvied out to the teams. They're mm -hmm. cross-functional self-organizing groups of 10 or less. Mm -hmm. And she, her question was, what is the role of the testing manager in that scenario? Like maybe everybody was in a mm -hmm. silo They've all mm -hmm. been redistributed to these new teams which have been built. Um, what What is the role of a testing manager? And what she used to do is things mm -hmm. like say to the company, we need to implement TDD mm -hmm. or we need to, you know, whatever the practice was around testing, she was the one that drove that. Mm -hmm. But if all the teams are self-organizing now, how does she get in the backlog? How does she get in the backlog? So she's wondering what she should do with her day job, like well, what she what should is, do yeah, during the day. Is there does that role still have value in this scenario? And I and I think you're specifically well suited for this because mm -hmm. of your technical background. Um, so I guess the first question is what what role does a testing manager have in that scenario? Second role is if there mm -hmm. is somebody whose job it is to help the team amp up their testing capabilities, mm -hmm. whose job is that? And how do they get that worked into the product owner's backlog so the team is including it in what they're doing? Okay, so I'm going to pick apart the first one and ask you to write down the second one because that second one's longer. <laughs> right. I mean, you said I'm going to give a coherent answer, so I'll, uh, yes. I'll give a... One I'll give at a time. You knock 30 second answer the on the first one. Like, what is okay. the role of testing manager? Well, what is the role of any leader in a software organization or any organization? Um, there's two things you can do um, when you work um, in any space. You can either work on the organization and create an organization that enables the delivery of value, or you can actually work on delivering that value. So a testing manager, a DevOps manager, um, I don't know, any manager can do both. But if you find yourself not having anything to do with adding value, then you can work on the system. And what I mean working on the system, think about things that you can do to empower your team members to be more successful such as coaching them in interpersonal skills. Um, okay. If you're a hands-on technical leader, uh, pair programming with them, mob programming with them, advocating for them. You know, Dave, one of the things I find really funny is organizations will go ahead and they'll pay for like a, a training class for two days. Yeah. And then they'll come in and be like, hey, we gave you a class on uh, test-driven development. Right. And then why aren't you doing it very yeah. well? So that's when like a, a manager- Why haven't you set it up yet? <laughs> yeah. And that's where a manager should come in and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, you know, Dave's a smart guy. 
we paid for a two-day class, but we're going to need to give him time and space to grow. And in fact, I need you to back off on delivery pressure because you know what? Are you any good at things when you're under pressure? Or when you've never done them before? I mean, think about it. If the, if the U.S. military took the principle of most corporate America is we throw someone a rifle in the middle of a battle and go figure it out. How would that work out for you, Dave? Well, we could make them watch some YouTube videos to figure out how to shoot. Yeah, while they're getting shot at, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's what the testing manager can do. Um, so the other thing to think about is when you are building any team, the goal is to trust the team. Okay. Unless you want to be the most important person in the room, then you don't trust the team. But that's not really nice. So what you want to do is build trust in the system and start delegating uh, capabilities and decision rights and competencies into the team. So, Dave, um, I have a nine-month-old daughter, and frankly, she can't make any decisions right now. What do you think? I think there are decisions that are made, but not with intent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and at, at some point, she'll get to pick out. Well, that's fair. At some point, my wife and I will intentionally allow her to pick out the clothes she wears. Right. Right. Um, yes. Probably when she's three or four, I don't know the age, but sometime at some point she'll pay you picking out her own clothes. Right. That's because we entrusted her to understand like you have to wear a pair of pants and a, and a shirt or something. Right. And it's just a basic competency. Now, imagine my daughter grows up to be the president of the United States and a neurosurgeon and a lawyer. Okay. But she really forgets to file her taxes. Yep. Is that bad? I, I think it depends who you're asking. If if I have to file her taxes or hire a company to file her taxes, is yeah. she a failure? No, not if you set up a system that enables her to become a neurosurgeon and president. Yeah. She should so, have, so she should be able to delegate that work. Right. So the testing manager can build confidence into the team and then understand where that doesn't take place, such as there's a lot of HR duties and, and that you have to do as a manager that you can't get away of. But I think really what the testing manager should be doing is, first of all, focusing on empowering the team to be successful. And second of all, once that goes away, once that gets, you know, 80% of your job is you know, gone, is maybe just pull up a keyboard and start typing with the rest of the team. What do you think, Dave? I think that's a good idea, but it does lead me to some other questions. And I'm, and I'm echoing back to a podcast I posted recently, which I don't think you would have heard. I had a guy in class question whether or not a scrum master was, as he said, it, a sign of distrust in the team. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to try to, let me give me a little bit of runway here. In the class, I have to talk about how part of the scrum master's job is to help the team improve their practices. Mm -hmm. So in that part of the class, I talk about XP and the idea of introducing pairing and mobbing and TDD and all that stuff. His point was the team should be doing that on their own. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that sounds kind of along the line of thinking that you're in that area. Mm -hmm. But if I am, whether I'm that testing manager or I'm a scrum master, if I'm with a group of people who don't even know what TDD is, it doesn't ever occur to them to try to improve their practices because the world they came from was the world of don't think like that. You will get smacked down. Just do what we tell you to do. So wouldn't then... The value would be I, maybe maybe I'm just repeating what you're saying. I think I was going in a slightly different direction, but we'd like the team to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. We'd like your daughter to be able to pick out her own clothes, but right now she doesn't know to. Mm -hmm. She needs help. 
So the manager can help them with that. But the manager shouldn't control it forever. Okay. Unless it's, I mean, there are basic things like filing your taxes in advance. But at some point you need to delegate and let the team do what the team's going to do. You have to give enough leash, let the team go and support them. And if you find yourself that you're still controlling everything, um, you're, you know, really, really evaluate yourself because if you're in an agile organization, that doesn't seem to um, servant leadership. Okay. So let's say that the team has come to management Mm -hmm. and said, we want to do TDD. And they're like, yeah, we're not investing in that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a place where having a testing manager advocate for something that theoretically they'd be higher up the food chain. They'd be able to help make the case. So there's some value there, right? There is, but the testing manager should be working with the the testers um, and the people in the organization on their communication skills. Okay. And be able to give an economics benefit case of TDD from the developers. Now, in a classic um, hierarchical organization, you're right. The testing manager may be positioned to have that conversation, but the testing manager should be teaching the developers how to have that conversation also. Okay. Could could the, you, you mentioned something that kind of sparked an idea for me. Worst case scenario, I am that testing manager. I'm worried about my job. Mm-hmm. The team seemed to be taking to finding ways to continually improve on their own. They're introducing new testing practices. Could I then, or would it make sense then, to start being the person who, across the organization, not at the team level, because the teams would be doing it at the team level, across the organization, tracks and captures performance based on testing. So they're able to offer data about, like instead of throughput, but like when this stuff gets through, how many defects, like things like that. You could. I mean, you could evolve your career to solve a different type of problem. Okay. Because once you don't need to be a hands-on micromanager or you know holder of the test scripts or holder of the test standards, once that's delegated to the team, um, you're going to have opportunity to and slack time to make other investments in your career. Okay. Uh, but you know, in my experience, I've worked at organizations that had aggressive timelines, and once we adopted. Uh, better practices, there's a lot more slack time. And frankly, we just work less. Yeah. I, I guess there's a part of it that gets to the, if the job you were hired to do is no longer the job that needs to be done, how can you make yourself useful? Yeah. And that's where I think there's always a need to write code. And in an XP organization, there's always mobbing and pairing going on. So, you know, a lot of people in management have been conditioned. This is because the organization around them has conditioned them that coders are just coders and they're beneath everyone. Right, they're in the right. they're in the boiler room throwing coal into the engines. Yeah, and uh, we are the elite. You know, I don't know. We're 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 the elite, and we don't need to associate them. So, if you right. actually just sit down and start coding, and testing managers are usually from a technical background, you can get your technical skills back. And what is there to worry? I mean, most organizations can't hire enough coders. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the the orthogonal of people not willing to learn the new skill, which okay. just creates you frozen in place because you're right, Dave. Um, you know, the role of testing manager, ops manager, QA manager, whatever it is, right, yeah. is going to be disruptive, just like the role of a back end versus front end developers disruptive, right? Yeah. Things are going to change in your career, and you have to either A, change with it, or B, find another job. Yeah. It's leading me down this kind of like 
rabbit hole of find a new problem to solve. And I'm thinking, well, you could be somebody who starts focusing on um, technical debt, like being the monitor of technical debt or... Actually, I wouldn't do that because that would probably get you on everyone's enemy list. Well, <laughs> Look yeah, at the technical but, debt. right. But somebody's got to be paying attention yeah. to it, you know, or or there's just there's a, a lot of different problems that we don't even get to deal with normally because you don't evolve to that state. But when you get to that state, like when you start tracking flow and things like that, and you start really trying to lean things out and become more efficient, a whole new set of problems crops up. Agreed. And I think the main thing is just be open to evolution of your job and be comfortable having a set of skill sets that's marketable in the marketplace, especially, you know, it's October 2021, the great resonations going on. Um, and what's the worst thing that happens, Dave, when you put yourself out of your job? You find a better one, right? Nine times out of 10, you'll find something better. Yeah. The risk is you don't, you don't evolve, you don't change, you don't learn something new. And at the end of the, you know, at the, after the great rift, whatever that may be, and they look at you and say, Dave, the only skill you have is TPS reports. Yeah. And you don't have a spot in the new organization. So that I, I had never really thought about this before this conversation, but it's almost like you need more fluidity in your understanding of your role and your value within the company and not just, this is my gig. Like for me, like the easiest parallel for me would be somebody who works in the PMO who's freaking out because like, why do we even need a PMO? You don't really. Um, but what are they going to do? And there's just so many things <laughs> that could be fixed. It's just a matter of maybe doing the thing on the sly until people catch you doing it and realize you're adding value there and then you get that job. Yeah, but let's just be straightforward, Dave. Yeah. There's a lot of great community colleges out there that offer um, associates in computer science. Yeah. If you have 18 months before you're, you know, you think your role's eliminated, go to community college, get an associate's, or at least take the computer science classes or computer programming classes. And when that day comes, be like, by the way, I've been coding with the teams for, you know, six months. Can I just be on a team? Yeah. And well, what are they going to say? Yes. Right. Yeah. We can't find enough of them. <laughs> Right. And you already know the office politics. Yeah. So you've already got the door. I mean, knowledge. I think a lot of people can be preventative if they just invest in themselves. And, and you know, Always I don't want to say learning. learn how to code as a meme. Well, it's, but, but it's not, it could be learn how to code, but the idea is <laughs> learn something, make yourself valuable, mm -hmm. find a way but to make yourself useful. The other thing, though, Dave, you have to look at the lens. So I graduated in 08. Okay. And I've only worked I'm in so modern. freaking old. Yeah, I've only worked in mainly modern organizations. Yeah. My baseline and my entry point was was coding. Right. And so as more and more people like me from 2008 on in you know the second dot com boom and all of that stuff, coding is just another skill as in typing, right? As in PowerPoint. Yeah. So if you're out there and you don't have that baseline skill and you think you want to be interested in it, go ahead and get it. You don't have to be great at it. There's, you know, thousands of developers that are below average. They're right. all employed. Um, the idea is you just have that skill because the skill of managing people, yeah, the skill of, you know, managing Gantt charts, well, that's been replaced with tools like Jira and Azure DevOps, right? Yeah, yeah. And so invest in yourself, and that way you don't need to worry about when does my career end because then you control it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I and always be finding. I, I part of that for me is all. Let me let me back this up. Part of it is 
pursuing things, this is a conversation I've had with Kottmeyer a lot, pursuing things that you're not expert in. To, to have that exposure, that vulnerability, to be humbled, to realize there's brand new things I can learn. If you haven't coded in 15 years, mm -hmm. what's all the stuff you've missed? Not Put much. In a <laughs> still if statements and loops and control structures. It really hasn't changed much. Computers are faster, though. Tools but, are better. But don't <laughs> you agree that there has to be this continual pursuit of sparking that thing that makes you yeah. learn something new? I mean, my dad put himself through college by working in a factory in the summer. That's not possible anymore, is it? No. And so things are going to change. If you don't, everything yeah. around you will, and you'll find yourself on the outside looking in. So just invest in yourself, like you All said. Right. Well, that sounds like a good segue to our other topic. Which was what? We, we went down the road. I had to have you write that one down. The, the second question was, what does that manager do now? Right? How do they? How do we introduce into the company the idea that we need to pursue these technical practices? And I guess that is one thing that makes me nervous is if there's nobody in the organization who, on the org chart at least, is responsible for overwatch of, we've got to be amping up our skills in this area. Then, if nobody's responsible for watching that, stuff's going to slip. Oh, maybe that's I'm so, so waterfall thinking that way, but let's let's talk about that. Okay. Right? So, uh, you know, there are questions you don't want to ask. Um, how many defects we have? Right. Um, what's our velocity? What's our flow rate? Because your boss and your boss's boss and your boss's boss's boss, right? They all have performance plans with bonuses. Right. And if those things aren't on there, don't go ask those questions. So that's a, that's a risk. Especially right? if it's going to slow down the other things that are on right. there. Right. Yeah. So you have to be politically aware. So if you if you you know if you're a testing manager and for some reason and you know I'm gonna this isn't even a joke this is real right there's a lot of organizations that don't know how many defects they have that don't know how much it costs to maintain those defects and right now it's not a problem for them right mm -hmm. and so what you don't want to do is go shine a flashlight on something that's currently not a problem and make it a problem because that might be a quick way for you to find a new job. But, um, but there's a good chance it is a problem that no one's paying attention to. Right. It, but the challenge is, though, is how do you influence an organization that hasn't recognized that as a problem without creating a lot of noise? Especially if you're at the team level and you don't have the agency to do that in the organization. Mm -hmm. Like this to me is where that person still has a powerful role or could. They could, but there's a lot of risk and peril assigned to it. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of people get walked, you know, cordially walked out the door because they were asking the questions that were the real good business questions, but the audience wasn't ready to hear from them. Right. I mean, why, why does it take six months to deploy software? Well, don't ask that. Do the but, director of QA, the director of testing and the director of DevOps and the director of this and that, because that's the same paradigm that you're in as a testing manager. Yeah. They're also, you know, protecting their fiefdoms and their careers. It does present a new area of problem to explore, which would be, maybe this goes back to the organizational change thing. How do I create a compelling argument for this thing and shift minds and hearts into realizing, you know what? We actually do have to pay attention to that. There's two things. First of all, the economic incentives for the people accountable for that have to be aligned. Yeah. 
And two, second is the economic investment needs to make sense and be the most important thing to be invested in by the organization. Okay. A lot of the challenges I see with the big companies is developers aren't aware of the corporate politics that matter. And that's really in the boardroom. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, there's the, the, the C-suite, but then there's the boardroom. And I was talking to one of my friends who works at a, a big four, and he was talking about the difference between entering an organization to execute change from a boardroom sponsorship from an uh, from an executive sponsorship right. and then from a you know a, a senior localized leader sponsorship okay and those are completely different avenues for change but if you're looking for large scale grassroots disruptive change and you don't have that c suite if not board member buy in you're going to be you know eventually you're going to be disrupting them i think enough people's lives that you're not going to have a lot of friends okay so I want to talk about the boardroom part in a second, but the first thing I want to ask is if you found yourself on a team re seeing the need for change, right? Like I know, I know one bank I work with, there's a team there that doesn't know what's going to happen until they release. They have that much technical debt and there's so much stuff that's tightly coupled. They can't even test it. There is not enough value seen in what they're dealing with to to produce the change but these people on the team know this is like a nightmare waiting to happen at that point do you just go somewhere else yeah okay choose not to participate i mean like get a new job because there's plenty yeah. of jobs dave if the job if if your job if you're hired to do a job in an you know in an air-conditioned office and you found yourself in a coal mine mining coal with a pickaxe why would you stay? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> having found myself in the coal mine on more than one occasion, I am no, not sure why I stayed I as mean, long as I you did. You can advocate and you can try, you can learn. Yeah. But there's also, is it worth it? Right. Yeah, why hasn't this organization the, made the change? And me, just a, a coder on a team, like I can fight. Is it my thing. fight to have? Right. Because yeah. when you look at the macro versus the micro, one of the funny things is if you pull an executive, right? Did we deliver our projects on time? They say, oh yeah, we did. If you ask the PMO, what do they say? I mean, you're PMP certified and um, you have a master's in project management. They Don't they say yes? Well, it depends on how soon my salary review is coming up. I'd <laughs> right. like to say that I would be honest, but if it was coming up soon, I'd probably say yes. And if you ask the developer if anything's delivered on time, what do they say? They usually say, no, we're always yeah. behind deadlines, right? So it's that perspective of, is it really the biggest problem in my organization? The fact that it, you know, every time, like you're, you said, your student deploys, everything could go down. If that's not an economic driver and that's yeah. not on the executive's, you know, bonus spread or, you know, in the next five-year plan, it's just a terrible job and those yeah. exist. Well, and this goes back to another thing I think that that, that person, testing manager who, or whomever could do is if you've got people on your teams that don't understand how the decisions about priority, priority are being made at the strategic level, help them understand that so they can make decisions that are in, in line with it, right? Correct. If, if the job is, if you're the testing manager and you go off and you hire them, and I've seen this, right? Here's QA managers that go off and hire, you know, some some computer science students and say, this is the gateway into doing development. And the, the students, they don't know any better. They stay to two, two to three years. They're not doing development. They're just doing manual testing. Right. Right. Um, it's when you need to sit down and go, 
hey, right? This is the job. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. Are you happy? Right? And what can I do to make you happy? And sometimes the developer has to leave to be happy. Yeah. And sometimes the, te- the manager has to sit down and go, this is not the job I wanted, but too many people are just comfortable and that's okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you like there's working some, there's long somebody hours, that will do that job. It doesn't have to be yeah. you. Yeah. And if you like working long hours and you yeah. like 2 a.m. no sleep patterns and you like releasing software um, in the middle of the night and hoping it works, I mean, I'm sure there's companies out there that will employ you. Right. Yeah, I think you're underselling the rush of the 2 a.m. release, man. I mean, I I know, Dave, I I know about, you know, I like to work 100 hours a week, too, don't you? Good times, man. For 40 hours a day. Back in the day, yeah. That's just one of those. Stock options that never materialized. Oh, it's one thing if you're working for RSUs, but it's another thing, (laughs) you know, there's that underculture client of we're workaholics because we work in IT. Why? We're supposed to be smart engineers. I don't think uh, smart engineers work for free. They should join like Canton coders if they well, want. Well, okay, so that, there's our segue. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm professional at this. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna uh, talk about Canton coders, and just I just want to preface it by saying uh, one of the things I've been doing in interviews a lot over the pandemic is asking people like, what's one really positive thing that's come out of it? And this is a really good story about. Um, how it had a very positive impact on a group. So I'll just let you go off for a little bit. Yeah, well, I want to talk to you about it, Dave. So there's a state called Michigan, and I'm holding up my hand because if you're Michigan, you know what we're talking about. Um, Michigan's called the Mitten State, Dave, because it looks okay. like a hand. Um, okay. If you, if you forget the UP. Um, <laughs> I don't know what your audience viewership is in the Upper Peninsula is, but I'm safe to say it's okay to forget them. So right between the town of Ann Arbor and Detroit is a town called Canton. And in Canton, it was where I used to live. Um, and I had a bunch of friends and we were all, you know, developers and that type of people. And we wanted to go to meetups, but we didn't want to drive down. We didn't want to go back to downtown Detroit, or we didn't want to go to Ann Arbor. And we didn't want to go to Troy because it was all like an hour in the wrong direction. So right before um, COVID, we said, let's make Canton coders. We'll go talk code and drink beer at a local bar and that way our wives don't get mad at us because it's a, it's a networking group. It's a work event. It's a work event, right? (laughs) (laughs) And um, COVID happened. So we tried doing stuff online and it worked. Okay. So we, we, we tested a hypothesis. We said, if we had a meetup in Canton, Michigan, would people come to it? We never actually got an answer because we never had one, but we didn't change it. If we had a meetup called Canton coders and it was online, would people come? And the answer is yes. So okay. over the last 18 months, we've been having meetups on Zoom, Twitch, and LinkedIn. Um, Zoom is interactive, and that's what we would like to do. And the main goal of Canton Coders is that we're focused on the coder and making the coder better, not their employer. Um, there's a lot of great coders and not so many great employers. And our goal is to educate coders on what good looks like so they can decide if they're happy or not, and they can move on. Um and that's what we do, Dave. It's just fun. So that's an important part of it, though, because I think you you offering a place where people can sharpen their skills is great. But I think what you just said about them sharing information about what a good place to work is, who's who's got openings, things like that, that is and a powerful and also could be a scary thing for some employers. Too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there are companies that participate in this that – I don't know how many people they've stolen from Canton Coders um, because they come in, they, they see in the a programming event, someone that really 
is talented and then they'll reach out and back channels and slack and say hey are you interested we we ask you don't talk about your employer uh, ever um in okay. a public forum um except in our lunch and learn series which is i'll talk about that in a second but the goal is we talk about you as a coder not your employer and okay. then a lot of people just get whisked away to new jobs huh and it's funny because <laughs> you know our unofficial model is we're, we're the robin hood we take from the bad and give to the good so this is, is interesting to me because mm -hmm. you you mocked me earlier for being a PMP, but mm -hmm. when I used to go to the meetups, um, mm -hmm. a lot of them I just felt like I walked into a festival called "Can I Have a Job at Your Company?" Oh, um, and I stopped going to some to some of those. I mean, they're not all like that, and then a lot of them are, are mm -hmm. different. But there were some that were, mm -hmm. and you're describing a situation that's different than that that where yeah. people are showing we're, up they're actually learning but they are getting plucked away anyway yeah so our, our rule is and actually it's uh let me pull up the website because it's been a while but basically the mantra is it's about you not your employer we like okay. employers they pay us they're nice people right they're not evil right um most of them uh you know most of them um <laughs> got to pull up the code of conduct it's about you, not your employer. Be kinder okay. than required and expected. There's no, there's so much to talk about. So don't talk about inflammatory things like religion, politics, tabs versus spaces. <laughs> and then the law of two feet always applies. If you don't like it, you can leave. And by those four simple constraints, we've created a community that just talks about code. They love code. They don't care where you're from, what you okay. believe in. The only thing is you're interested in code. That's it. And you have that common thing. So did this yeah. exist? You started this after the pandemic? Oh, we started this during the pandemic, the day before the pandemic. Our That's first meetup was the day the before the Michigan lockdown. Okay. So, and you guys went, you locked down much later than like we would have done that on the East Coast. In New York. I don't recall. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was pretty far. All I remember was we were, we were like, do we have the meetup in person? We have over 100 RSVPs. Okay. And so how many and people then, are in it now? Oh gosh, I don't know. We stats. There's over 300 in the Slack. Wow. There's like 600 follow us on Eventbrite, and there's another 200 on LinkedIn. But in our last meetup with um, our last lunch and learn the summer, we took a break because of summer. Okay. Um, we had over 100 people come to our American Airlines lunch and learn. Wow. Um, and then we have 1,200 views on YouTube on that video since that summer. And then this fall, we're doing every other Wednesday. We're doing a lunch and learn with an industry player. We're uh, their employees get to talk about cool tech they're doing without okay. breaking NDAs. And then every other Wednesday, we're going to code together at lunch. So wow. if you want to come do it, uh, check out cantoncoders.org. Um, there's two buttons that says join our Slack and then RSVP. Everything's free, Dave. Okay. Um, no one makes money on this. We just have a good time. Now, am I correct in assuming when you're coding, you're doing some sort of mobbing thing and everything's virtual? Yeah. We try to share keyboards over Zoom. Okay. So could somebody, I mean, my only mob ex mobbing experience, I, I did, it was virtual. I didn't know how to write code, but I learned how to do a little bit while I was on there. Can people come in if they're trying to learn how to do this or do they have to be yeah. pros? We're opening, we're a very open community. Okay. Um, we have a lot of recruiters that just hang out and come to the events and listen. Um, and then they kind of learn how to program because they're trying to find good developers. Wow. I mean, we don't really let them talk about recruiting in open forums, uh, but then they end up, you know, understanding a lot about code and code with us. It's kind of wow. fun. Well, that's great. Uh, all right. So if people want to find out about it, they can check you out on YouTube, 
on Twitch. Uh, just Google can't encoders. Okay. It's a very low, low traction keyword. Okay. Well, I'll make sure we include a link to it anyway. Um, and what if people want to get in touch with you and they have follow-up questions for you? Uh, follow, uh, hit me on LinkedIn is the easiest way. Um, okay. And, uh, and that's Joel Norman at LinkedIn. Um, and then, yeah, Dave, I appreciate this. No, I appreciate you doing it. Uh, I have one final question for you. Excellent. What is, from, from what you see now with mm -hmm. the people that you work with on Teams, mm -hmm. what is one thing that you wish everybody coming from a project management background understood when they work with developers that they don't understand? Uh, yeah, um, developers are really smart people. They have more than one skill in coding. And in fact, um, they're often multifaceted. And so you should seek to understand what their talents are. And most of them don't need to be babysat. Okay. They're human beings. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. <laughs> it's weird, right? Cool. All right, man. This was great. Thank you very much for doing this. And good uh, luck well, in the new Thanks for having game. me, Dave. Uh, my check, uh, net, I'm net 30 terms today. So I'll look for your <laughs> check in the mail. Excellent. It'll be there eventually. It's on yep. the backlog. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I hope it doesn't bounce this time. If you learn to work the old way, but the new way is what you need. My job's to make that switch from old to new. Sunglass for you.